0: All right. How are you guys doing? Good? Wherever you are, we're glad you're joining us. Hope you're uh, you're doing well. You're managing the situation well. Listen, here's the deal. Uh, We, uh, yeah, we're in this thing. It's so funny to me because all over the news, uh, we're in this together. Well, are we? (laughs) I mean, you're at home and I'm at home, but are we in this together? I mean, I guess we're both sacrificing and some discomfort or something, but you know, what's interesting about the early church is the early churches, which is kind of the series we're talking about how to flip the script on, on something evil and make it something good, allowing God to make something great out of it is the early church really were in it together. And I want to talk a little bit about how they were in it together and what they were in and what happened and, and what God did. But I just want to remind you that in the life of Joseph in the Old Testament, his brothers sold him into slavery. And uh, yeah, you'd think your family is dysfunctional. And, uh, but at one point, <clears throat> excuse me, when he had a chance to have uh, revenge on his brothers, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And uh, maybe this pandemic, which I think is is evil, it, it has an evil source. Uh, God certainly didn't cause this, but he can take this and he can do something good in your life, my life, and in the world. And uh, so we want to flip the script on this thing and see what good might come of it if we'll trust God. So we're looking at the early church, the book of Acts, and we're in the second chapter today. And in the second chapter of Acts, there's this wonderful thing that happens, <clears throat> And it says in verse one, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. The spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all of these men who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Now, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit comes, they start witnessing in the, name, in the languages of the, the people in attendance there. And, uh, and oftentimes that's the part of the, the second chapter of Acts that we get, is that the Holy Spirit came. And we talked last week about how we can invite the Holy Spirit to come, to fill us, to empower us, to teach us, to comfort us. And I think all of that is extremely important. But I want us to look at the rest of the the chapter as well, and not just pray that the Holy Spirit will come and work in our lives, but... In what ways would he work? What kinds of things? So here's my thought. My thought is the Holy Spirit comes and flips the script on a whole lot of things in our life. He just turns things upside down. For example, our our goals, our aspirations. I think the Holy Spirit changes those. So I'd like to read a little further in this chapter to kind of reference those. It's uh, starting in verse 38 mm-hmm. in chapter two of Acts. And by the way, Acts, if you don't remember, is written by Luke, second part of the Luke-Acts combination. And it's about the early church. And how it began. And what happens surely after the passage I just read for you, Passage I read for you is that Peter stands up and preaches, and over 3,000 people come to faith. So an amazing thing happens there. Um, but in verse uh, 36, it says, uh, Peter says, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. So he's saying, These people are like, We hear in our own language, what's going on? Are these guys drunk? And Peter says, no, you need to flip the script on your life. You need to change what your life is about. You need to change the ownership even of your life. Who owns it? Your life is not yours to use as you will or play with uh, to to just kind of uh, get the most pleasure and the minimum of pain. Your life is God's and you need to repent of having tried to take control of it and flip the script on that. So that's that's kind of Peter's message. And then he says, And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is what they were witnessing that day. This empowerment of the Holy Spirit that changed everything. And this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Now, in that passage, we find a different kind of reason to live our lives. In reality, for some of us, we're fairly short-term thinkers. Like you know, if I can just make it to lunch <laughs> and I could have whatever it is that, or if i can if I can uh, you know just kind <clears> of <throat> save up enough to buy a house, or if I can get enough retirement, someday I can retire. And we think in these terms. But this is a really important thing that he says here. He says that we are to live not only for God in the kingdom, we talked about flipping the script and and becoming kingdom-oriented people, but living for um, what he calls this promise, which is for you and your children and all who are far off. A few months ago, we had an interesting thing. We had a great story told on video, uh, Brian and Nicole and, and attend our congregation here and how after some challenges with drugs and addiction and prison and, different relational failures that Brian had come and given his life. And we had just this powerful story that we shared with you guys. And, but we didn't, weren't able to share all of it. We had to edit some of it out. And one of the pieces we edited out was he said, and, and I'm gonna paraphrase, but I saw the footage. He said, you know, I heard Doyle talk about his grandfather who was an outlaw and a criminal and, uh, and had been shot and shot people and how God could change his life. And Brian said, with my background in prison and all the things I've done, I heard him talk about his grandfather. And I thought, you know what? If that could happen for him, that could happen for me. Now here's what's interesting about that story. The story of transformation, how my grandfather was able by the power of the Holy Spirit to flip the script on his life. so long ago, influenced this man today. My grandfather's been dead for years. And yet the story of his life, the implications that he came to believe in Jesus are still having ramifications. They're still having consequences or influence even today. What if a part of what is supposed to happen during this pandemic is that we are to raise our horizons of vision beyond just today, beyond just tomorrow, beyond just making it through or even into the fall or next year or retirement or whatever it might be. What if we're to begin to live our lives with an eye to the long-term, those who are far off, saying, well, I, you know, it's a nice story for you and, and you know, whatever. Well, what if we just brought it home a little bit? What if what you're investing in your children right now who are just driving you nuts, I know, they're driving you crazy. What if the time you're investing in them will become a platform, a foundation for your and their relationship or their and God's relationship for the rest of their lives? What if there's a day when you're sitting with, and you're thinking, oh, I'm, you know, I'm young and I got young kids. Well, you know what? It won't be so long that you're gonna have some of this. Well, maybe if you're a woman, it'll be a period. Nobody will ever know it, but it'll still be gray. What if it's not that long down the road when you are older and, and grayer and, and you're having a conversation and your grandpa or your grandchild is telling grandpa or grandma about, tell me about the time you guys got locked in the house for two months. You know, mom told us stories about that. She told how you guys did this and did that other thing. and You did this thing. They always say about camping trips, that the best camping trips are the ones that get rained out and are really hard because they make the best stories. Right now, you're making some stories in your life, in your family. <clears throat> I don't know if they're good ones or bad ones, but they could be good ones. I just want you to keep in mind during this pandemic, for those who are far off, there may be stories told about you and what's happening right now that, that are being told to children that aren't even here yet. One of my favorite illustrations is written by a guy named John Ortbergen. He talks about playing uh, games, table games with his grandmother. And, and they would get to the, the end of the game and, and she would always beat him. And I think it was Monopoly if I remember right. And she would always beat him and then one time he beat her and he was so excited and he thought the world was gonna change, everything was gonna be better. And immediately upon losing, she said, okay, hun, let let's put it all back in the box. It was just a game, it all goes back and he's so deflated because so many years he'd wanted to beat her and he thought life would be better and it would be different and the reality was it just goes back in the box. His analogy of course is that so much of what we're playing for, when we're done, we're done. It just kinda goes into a box, <laughs> it's called a coffin. I think a part of flipping the script on this whole thing is to remember they're playing for something bigger. That there's a bigger game afoot, if you will. There are higher stakes. As a matter of fact, what we're what we're doing is we're investing ourselves in things, hopefully, in things that will last forever, like relationships and influence for the kingdom of God. That is what we're about, not just trying to make it through today. Even though I understand that can be. A huge struggle. And that's what happened with Peter. Suddenly, Peter and the disciples after the resurrection began to believe in Jesus, began to be kingdom oriented. They began to realize they weren't just playing for a position in a new government or some power or prestige or even money. They were playing for something outside of themselves, something bigger, something worth giving your all for. And they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that in a way they never could have dreamed of before. We have this incredible opportunity to invite people to repentance, which is where we've started. God, I'm sorry for trying to live my life on my own. I know you created me for something else. Not only repentance, but living for that promise, that promise that is for those even who are far off. And it says this in verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day. Boy, you talk about a church. I was with a pastor many, many years ago and he was from South Korea. And at the time, he had the largest church in the world. And I don't know uh, if it still is. I mean, it was like thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And he was joking. I was with him and, a, and, a, and my mentor at a breakfast and and he said, uh, he said, yeah, you guys in America, you got these little churches. You know, he said the smallest church in the New Testament was 3,000 or at least the first church in the New Testament was 3,000. He was kind of teasing us, but his is encouraging us to have faith for something greater. I think a part of what we read in the book of Acts is these regular guys, Peter who had denied Christ during the whole uh, crucifixion scene, had now gotten a glimpse of something bigger and had gotten an opportunity and chosen to invest themselves in something bigger, something more powerful, something incredible. I think a part of what can happen for us is we can have a new kind of meaning a new kind of aspirations for the kind of impact we're going to have. And it would add weight to even the silly conversations we have over lunch or the way we react to our children during this time or the way we go out of our way to benefit someone else. So flip the script on our goals, even our ownership of our life, I think is an important part of what can happen during this time. I also think that flipping the script on uh, on how we're living our lives, on our priorities, is probably a pretty important thing. So if if, our, if I were to use the word devoted, um, are you devoted to anything in your life? Hopefully you're a devoted husband or wife if you're married or devoted son or daughter, if you're parents or devoted parent or whatever it might be. Truth is, if we're to be honest with ourselves, we're devoted to a lot of things. We're devoted to work, we're devoted to making money, we're devoted to staying in shape, we're devoted to a whole lot of things. Here's what they said about these people who changed all of history more than any other group of people ever has. In verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Could it be possible we would come out of this quarantine time, out of this this whole deal, being more devoted to more important things? Yes, still be devoted to your spouse, certainly, and, and certainly to your kids. But what if you were devoted to Says the apostles, teaching to learning, to learning what God would teach us, to learning uh, God's word, so that when we make decisions or when our attitudes need adjustment, or we want to be thankful, we know how to do that because we've been devoted to God's word. Our number one devotion should be to God and a relationship with God, and then to His word. That's how we know God. So, what it would be like to be devoted in that way? It's interesting if you think of these. If you think of these world changers. As the early church was. I mean, they turned the world upside down. Uh, within just a, a couple hundred years, uh, the entire Roman world was was uh knew about Jesus and and many and many were converting to Christianity. If you think about these people, you probably think about really high-powered, you know, flashy, uh, you know, running around making a big deal, you know, kind of managing their brand kind of people. <laughs> this passage doesn't look like that at all. What if we were to flip the script on our priorities and quit spending so much time managing our brand? We think, well, that's the Kardashians. They do the branding. You do too. Look at the pictures from your last vacation. Look at all the pictures from your social media. You are branding. You are forming and shaping people's image of who you are. What if we begin to realize that the point of life is not to manage your brand or develop your brand? they weren't out managing their brand they weren't out developing the brand here's what they were doing they were developing their character they were developing their personhood they were developing their spiritual being and the other stuff the changing the world stuff was coming along in the wake of all that they weren't doing glamorous things they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching they were studying and to fellowship they were loving each other they were learning to authentically love each other the breaking of bread, just eating together. What a powerful thing. And to prayer. You see, it's not the managing of your brand. It's not the, the impressing others with your image. It's about your character. It's about your relationship with God and how it expresses itself in your desire to study his word and to love his people. I was thinking about this, loving. They devoted themselves to the apostles and to the fellowship, to loving each other. This is an important part of it, yes. Yes, we're all in this together. It's it feels empty when somebody in a penthouse in New York, who can't go into the studio that particular day, is saying, "Oh, we're in this together." No, we, there's not a whole lot about this that is, is similar. But when someone calls up and says, "By the way, I and this happened has happened to me so many times the last few weeks. By the way, I just dropped off something on your front porch. I want you to know. I want you to know it's out there." And I go out, and they've baked something, and or they they've dropped off some some goods, whatever. it is it now, now we, even though we're not together, together physically, we are in this together. Or when I called to check out on my mom, there is a sense in which we're in this together. There is a connection. There is something happening that is beyond just coexisting. There beyond just the media. It's interesting. I was watching, even in this time where we're doing Zoom meetings, I don't know if you know if you're doing Zoom meetings or not. I, I I generally am not good at meetings to begin with. I just can't stay focused that long. And and imagine me trying to look at a little screen when there's birds flying by. It's just, it's brutal. And yet I saw this thing. I actually saw it and I clicked on it. Because because here's what we do. Here, this is true. Now don't even act like this isn't true. When you're in a Zoom meeting, you spend 95% of the time looking at your own picture. <laughs> come on, come on. You know you do. I actually clicked on a thing, how to make your picture better. So I'm going to give you a freebie is you put the camera at a high level or just a little higher and it makes sure you got nice, even light, no shadows. That makes you look old. Even with the best light, I still don't look um, <clears throat> young, <laughs> but it's interesting in this zoom time, zoom meeting era, we're trying to figure out how to look better, how to make it all look better. And that, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, except for the point of life is not to look better. The point of life is to be better. Is to be more like Jesus. And the way I do that is I read his word and I interact with others who are trying to be more like Jesus. See, fellowship isn't just about friendship and it's not just about helping each other out. Oh, it certainly is that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it's about knowing and being known. See, one of the powerful things we have the opportunity right now to do is to be known. Have you noticed this? This is also funny. I've noticed this. And, and people have commented on this. So we, our whole staff, our pastoral staff is doing devotions. So we record a devotion, a little little excerpt from it, write a devotional, and, and you can sign up for those if you haven't already. And it's funny because someone said, oh, we love the video part because we get to see inside your houses. <laughs> I get it, though. I mean, I get it. We, I, I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, but what's interesting is they people feel like they're getting a glimpse into us, because just because they're seeing our house. By the way, this isn't my house. This is my office, um, but it is my office, and uh, and they feel like they're getting a little glimpse into us just because they're seeing where we live and where we operate, where we work, whatever. it is. You know what's really interesting is I think that as a God-given desire is to see into each other's life. Now we can misuse that, we can mistreat each other, we can judge each other, or we can do what God calls us to do and have fellowship as we see into each other's lives—not just their living rooms or their library, or whatever it is—but into their lives as we are known and knowing we can care for each other on a different level. You see, the early church went on to care for each other in levels and in ways that was so far beyond anything that we experience today, outside of maybe our family. And I think it was because they were known. They weren't managing the image, they were knowing each other and being known. And the truth is for all of our image management and all of our trying to project, what we really want is to be known and loved. We want to be known and still loved. There's an old song that said, The one who knows me most, uh, knows me best, loves me most. It's about Jesus. How powerful it is to be known and to be loved. That's the amazing thing about my wife. She knows me, (laughs) and she still seems to love me. I can't figure it out for the life of me. But it's a powerful thing. And so when it says that they were studying God's word and they had fellowship, they were knowing and being known, one of the things I would challenge you during this time is to. Take a step toward being known. That doesn't mean you have to you know, do your Zoom meetings without makeup or combing your hair, that's not the point. The point is to maybe let someone in to what you're struggling with, what you're trying to grow or what you're trying to learn right now. Let someone in who can know you and you can have fellowship with them. It says on the breaking of bread, it's just about doing life. There's something powerful. I didn't realize, I probably did, but I, I don't think I fully realized how dependent I was on restaurants. In my life, I'm busy, my wife's busy. We don't have any kids at home. We eat eat at restaurants three three meals a day probably, most weeks. I'm not lying, it's terrible, I know. It explains some things. But I am missing something and it's not the food, it's the fact that I can grab one of the staff members around here or a family member and say, hey, let's go grab lunch. I'm realizing how much I miss that. I miss just the connection of eating together those who you do get to spend time with enjoy it it's important and then lastly said so they devoted themselves to prayer and on the heels of that it says everyone was filled with awe and with and many si- wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles they they studied God's word they were known and knew each other they shared meals together and they prayed last week i talked about developing the instinct of praying or praying first And they prayed. And because they prayed, God did amazing things. If we could just even do those things, study God's word, choose some people that are gonna know us and we're gonna know them. Make sure that we're spending some living time, some eating, interactive time with some important people and praying, we would come out of this victorious. I believe that that would be a powerful thing. So flipping the script on our goals, flipping the script on our priorities, and flipping the script on what it truly means to live in community. And here's where it gets real. In verses 44 and 45, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. I don't know that we're called to do that as a, as a norm, but I think we're called to be willing to do that if the need arises. I actually, at the beginning of this thing, someone called us up and said, hey, listen, my business happens to be such that we're going to benefit from this. In in reality, we provide an essential service that people are going to need. I'm going to be doing very well in this economy. And I anticipate as I do well in this situation, I want to be able to help. Would you please funnel people toward me? not just business people, we've had just regular folks who said, hey, listen, here's my normal fee. I wanna do this for the church for free. Would you take the fee that you'd normally pay me and would you give it to a family who's struggling? We have seen this happen over and over again because when you flip the script on what's important and what matters and what your life is about, you find yourself doing really counterintuitive things like being generous, like helping others. And then lastly, in verses 46 and the beginning of 47, really does flip the script on the outcome. And I want you to think about what you've been living for. I want you to think about what you've been devoting yourself to before this crisis. I want you to think about where you thought you were headed and what you thought was important. And I want you to listen to this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. All the things that you were pursuing before would would it be worth it if you set those aside and you experienced glad and sincere hearts? This is the day the Lord has made, I'll be glad and rejoice and it's This is how I start my prayers every day. It doesn't matter if I am glad or not, it is I'm going to choose to be glad. It is a choice because I remember that God is in control, and that my my kingdom, my kingdom is not the point. His kingdom is the point. My image is not the point, and my comfort is not the point. His kingdom going forward, His love expanding, uh, His kingdom on the earth and bringing hope. That is the point. Therefore, I will be glad and rejoice. When was the last time you were glad? Not just happy, but glad, deep down glad knowing at the core who you are that god is in control and that he's doing his work no matter what it feels like on the surface glad and sincere hearts man i gotta tell you i'm i, I want to be careful but a sincere heart i love little kids love my grandkids but even their little hearts are duplicitous <laughs> papa i really love you what do you want kid <laughs> it's not always that way there is a lot of sincerity and a lot of times, and yet, in us adults, those of us who have been through some of the painful things in life had some of our expectations unmet and some met and unfulfilling um, a sincere heart, man, what would it be like to not have cynicism That's almost impossible for me to imagine what would not be like what would it be like to not walk around kind of Self-embracing in order to cover my vital organs, my emotional organs, my heart. What would it be like to not walk around like that? What would it be like to interact with someone without judging them or competing with them and just sincerely be in a moment caring about someone? What would that be like? You see, the whole point of flipping the script is to get to a place where you can have glad and sincere hearts. It'll change the way you see the world, change the way we'll interact with each other. Praising God, by the way, I think the praising God is the key to the glad and sincere heart. Praising God, even in the midst of trial, praising God. And then for a time, they enjoyed the favor of the people. And it says in verse 47, the last part, and the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. We'll talk about this next week, but So you just thought this was a thing you're going to get through? I don't think so. I think this crisis is something that God will use to shape you and to mold you and me if we will let Him. One time, Connie and I were in Ireland, and uh, there's like 57 colors of green in Ireland. Did you know that? Yeah. And uh, and and like like just in nature, I mean. So we're driving, and if I remember right, it was down toward the south end, and Waterford Glass, if I remember the right. Is that the right name? Waterford Glass? Crystal? We went to their little factory there. I don't even think it's made there anymore now. They just still have a little showroom, I think. But this is a number of years ago. We went in there and we took a tour of it, we watched it. And there was this thing. There were, I remember it and I don't I think it was a vase. And they, you know, they had the pipe, you know, and they they stuck it in the oven and it got all molten hot glass and, and they pulled it out and then they shoved it in this this mold had little ridges going around, kind of like, you know, kind of ridges going around the edge. And they just shoved it down in there. And then they blew up the inside and it, it shaped this thing. That's not a biblical imagery, but it, I think it is how God works in our life. I think sometimes when the heat is on When the pressure's on, when life is hard, when there's friction, whether it's, I've been in this house with these kids too long. I never knew I didn't like my husband before. (laughs) I I hope that's not true. (laughs) Okay, maybe. Um, When the heat is on and God has you kind of in a liquid state where you're willing enough to, 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 to allow him to shape you and to take an honest look at your life. I think that he will push you into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ, if you'll let him. And so whatever you're going through, however hard it is, I hope nobody's experienced any loss, any deaths because of this this virus. If you have even that, even that, God can use that to shape you, to mold you, to comfort you by his Holy Spirit and to make you more like Jesus. I think... He wants to flip the script on this whole thing and turn us into the kind of people like the early church, like the disciples who had such good news and such sincerity and such courage that they turned the world upside down. I want us to be those kind of people. Let's commit ourselves to that, shall we? Let's pray. Lord God, I love you. I thank you. I thank you even for this time, not for the evil. Itself, not for the virus itself, but for the time that we have to focus on you, to focus on a relationship with you and becoming more like Jesus. Lord, help us adjust our goals. Help us to adjust our horizons. Help us to adjust our perspectives, Lord God. Help us to adjust our attitudes. Help us to know your word better and to know each other in pure kinds of ways and care for each other, even when it's sacrificial. Lord God, we need you and we need you to work in and through us and we commit ourselves to that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.